Welcome to another edition of the Business and Personal Podcast, where we bring you closer to the people you do business with. And super excited today to have on Traeger Strasberg. She is the founder of Humble Design, an unbelievable company, and just some staggering numbers that I'll be sharing with you as far as what they've been able to do uh, to help people out and continue to help people out. And as the holidays approach here, I just thought it was a great time to get her on. So first of all, Traeger, with your busy schedule, thanks for taking the time today. It is a pleasure. Thanks for speaking with me. So rather than me doing all the talking, share with people the story of Humble Design, how it all started in 2009, the need that you and Rob, your husband, saw uh, and have filled, work to fill, I should say, since then. Sure. So basically what Humble Design does is it furnishes homes for the recently homeless. We intake donated furniture from the community and we use interior designers to go in and furnish homes specifically made and tailored for a family that's leaving a homeless shelter into their first home or apartment. Um, and really, I had no background in nonprofit when I started this. Um, my husband um, owned an advertising agency, and I am a graphic designer by trade. I've worked in advertising before that for you know close to two decades. And um, when I moved to Detroit, I decided that I wanted to volunteer some of my time. Um, uh, I had very young children, so I wanted to make sure I stayed relevant in the advertising and graphic design world. So I volunteered some of my time. And while volunteering my time at a nonprofit, I met a woman who ran the front office there at that nonprofit. And we became friends. Um, shortly into our friendship, she was sitting across from me at a cafe and she confided in me that she was in fact homeless. She told me she spent the night at a homeless shelter and she was really tired because you don't get much sleep, her and her two children. And I just about fell off my chair. I had never met someone directly who was homeless. I never understood that homelessness could be somebody with a full-time job, with two children, um, with a college degree. I didn't understand. I thought a lot of mental illness and drug abuse um, went along with homelessness, but it really, it really uh, affected me. And I started to cry and I figured, you know, I can't just sit by and, and have my friend be homeless. So I asked around and my husband asked around and we tried to find some place that she could afford. Um, and we found somebody actually within the organization who was able to rent her house to my friend. Um, and I remember feeling that sense of like, like um, peace and, and love that I had been able to help somebody like directly help somebody. And then that all evaporated when I went to go visit her at the house. And I saw that they were making little nests on the floor of where they were going to sleep. Um, her children were three and five years old, same age as my kids around the same age. And it broke my heart that everything she had ever owned was put out to the curb when she couldn't make her rent at her last place. She had no money to take anything and put it into storage and everything she'd ever collected, all of her kids' artwork, all of her grandmother's dishes, every piece of furniture was put out on the curb and thrown away. And I immediately started crying again. It's a sort of a theme in my life. And then I, um, I went back to my own house and took everything out of the closets that I wasn't using took everything out of the basement that I wasn't using. And then I went to my neighbor's house and asked them if there was stuff in their house that they weren't using. I asked people at the grocery store. I asked people online at pickup for uh, preschool. And I started collecting these things for my friend. My friend Anna and I drove a pickup truck around and picked up all the stuff and would drive it down to her house. And because she was my friend, I didn't want to give her just like any furniture. I wanted to give her furniture that felt dignified and, and that matched her and what her likes and dislikes were. It took us about six weeks to furnish her entire house as a project and it was beautiful and she was happy and her kids were happy. And then I went about my life, except for the fact that I had become known at that point by as <laughs> in town as the furniture lady and people started dropping off 
full-size couches in my front lawn in Birmingham, <laughs> Michigan, and uh, cribs in my driveway, and um, expecting that I was continuing the project, which had already finished. So I gathered all these items, and then I started calling around. I didn't want the items to be resold, because I'm unsure at that point of what it's being resold to go towards, right? I don't understand the programs that it's funding. I just know that there are other people out there, like my friend, who have nothing and need this stuff. So who's going to take the stuff that I have, bring it down directly to a family in need? There must be an organization that does this. It's, it's got to be out there. Um, well, I made nine phone calls to nine different shelters, and they all said the same thing, which is this is a huge hole in the system, and you should start an organization that does this. Now, at this point, I had zero idea what a 501c3 was or what that even meant, but I said, I guess I'll try my hand at this, you know, as a weekend project. Um, and then I realized about a year into it that we had a hundred families on our waiting list of families waiting to be connected with furniture. I was doing about one every six weeks at this point. And again, I cried with the theme. And I said to my husband, Rob, we can't, I can't keep doing this. I thought I was doing something good. And it turns out like, I'm just spitting on the sun. I'm not making a real difference. And he said, well, you know, we can invest in a small business that you can, uh, operate and run and we can get revenue from that, or we can invest in this and we can fill our souls. We can feed our souls. That will be our, our stock options. That will be our, our revenue is that we feel good about being, uh, making the world a better place. And so that's what we did. We invested, we got a truck and we got a warehouse. We had a few employees. We grew to three families a week. And then we were doing, I'm sorry, we we're doing one family every three weeks and then two families every three weeks. Um, and then we started throwing our events so fast forward now, we're 12 years later, we're in five cities across the country. We do 11 homes a week. We have done over 2,800 homes for 7,800 individuals. And um, we keep growing because the need keeps growing. So let's backtrack a little bit to where, where this all started in Detroit and you made that decision to get bigger. I imagine it was probably pretty easy to find employees and people to, to jump on board for your cause. And that's what really helped it grow, right? What we do is not only beneficial to the people who we do it for, but it's beneficial for the people who participate in it. So it is a lovely draw. At first we had some trouble finding volunteers and now we have like a waiting list and people pay $5,000 to go down to a home and help us furnish it. Like it, it has been an, an incredible uh, community builder as well. Um, but I will say that I wish I could pay people more. I think that there's this pervasive um, understanding that Every nonprofit should be really strict with their money and pay people as little as humanly possible just so they can do good for the community. And really what I'm finding is that lots of nonprofits are actually part of the problem and not part of the solution. If I'm not paying people a living wage, then I'm actually causing one of the problems I'm trying to solve. So as this growth is continuing in Detroit, what was final the, finally the push like, okay, we're doing good here. Let's go tackle another market. When did you know you were ready to do that? So I make videos at home. Like I said, I'm in uh, advertising and graphic design. So every once in a while, you know, we, we videotape our, we were one of the early adopters of Facebook Live. Um, we actually were testing, uh, we, we tested it. We were one of the alpha and betas. So we, um, we started getting some lovely videos in of, of families. And you can imagine, we always ask for their permission. Um, and, and lots of families want to tell their story. So we had a video of a little boy who saw his bed for the first time for Christmas and burst into tears, which is not uncommon. Um, a lot of these children are carrying around such a huge, gigantic load of stress for their family. And so he was eight years old and saw his bed and, and burst into tears. And I made a little YouTube video of it 
Um, and it got picked up by Lad Bible, by Inside Edition, by CNN, ABC. Um, uh, gosh, uh, we were on, I think uh, there was like a whole bunch of them, uh, Upworthy. Um, and anyway, we had 20 million views. It was like, <laughs> so <laughs> we had about four weeks later, we had a conference call with 500 people who wanted to start Humble Design in their community. And uh, then the dream of, of growth actually became a reality where we had to see like, okay, what does it take to open up a new city? What does that model look like? How much money do we need? What kind of partnerships do we need? And I really instantly realized that most of our money was going to warehousing and trucking. That's just where our bottom line, our employees cost money as well, but our big budgetary item was warehousing and trucking. And who has warehousing and trucking? You all. So I, uh, I had a connection through the Fords in uh, Detroit and I was connected with U-Haul and I flew into Phoenix to go say hello and, and introduce myself and thank them for the truck donation that they had given us. And in doing so, I said to them, listen, this is my dream. I have a dream of, of building this out. I think it's a really good program, um, but I, I need your help. And um, believe it or not, they said yes. It's amazing. So from Detroit, where, what was the second market that you added after that? Chicago. Chicago, and then you're in Cleveland and Seattle. So and Seattle came first, then San Diego, and our latest is Cleveland with the help of Progressive Insurance. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to choosing the families that you're going to work with, that has to be very difficult. I'm sure you get so many requests. What is the I process? Don't. We get zero requests. So we take all of our referrals from social workers who work inside the homeless shelters. So okay. everybody who refers is referred to our program gets service. We don't pick and choose. We don't have any red tape. We leave it to the social workers who really know what they're doing and really understand the family's needs. And when we know the social workers and have a relationship with them, we get amazing, amazing clients. I was wondering on that because how the heck do you pick who you're, you are are not going to work with? But so the social workers in every market kind of vet that out for you and have the perfect families and the perfect situations to work with. I trust in them. Understood. So since 2009, really some staggering numbers. I had to get them updated from you today because they've even gone up since the last update I saw on your website, but more than 2,500 homes designed and 9 million pounds of donated furniture, almost 8,000 lives transformed. I mean, what the heck do you think about when you hear, take a step back and hear numbers like that? It's hard to imagine. My, my husband, you know, during COVID, we, we um, helped um, more kids than ever. We actually stepped up uh, our, our program during COVID. And he had me close my eyes and trying to envision all those kids that we had got at bed for in one, in one place. And I burst into tears. It's a running theme. Because it's hard to imagine. It's hard to get my head around it. And uh, I certainly feel like uh, there's more work to be done. So I don't want to, I don't want to sit back and, and, revel in the glory that is you know the work that we've done i feel like there's so many more families that we need so i don't really pause a lot to take stock but if i do i know that um i know that one small moment of kindness can change someone's entire life and i'm hoping i'm hoping that that is what the takeaway is for a lot of these families our statistics prove out that only one percent of our families go back into homeless as opposed to 50 percent without our help and just that alone, that, that knowledge that maybe we have offered a chance to step up and step on and, and move on with your life and, and create a, a platform from which to grow from, 
I mean, listen, this is my life's work. I am so proud of my, my staff and, and my board, and it's very hard for me to, uh, to take credit for it. I don't doubt that you're pushing hard to go in other markets and, and keep moving this company, but I'm going to make you stop for a second and just sit back and enjoy uh, those numbers because that's just incredible. And I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned the 50% and the 1% in terms of going back into homelessness. That was a statistic that really jumped out at me. And you know, you hear a lot of stories of these people that win, you know, a new home design, new home makeover, and then they are not able to afford the home afterwards. So you had mentioned earlier how you find affordable housing, you know, in some cases for people. That's probably the first, the most important point of why that's only 1% of people that go back into homelessness. But why do you think that number is so staggeringly different than what people normally go back into homelessness? So we think that the, the end of the story of homelessness is when you get into housing. We're like, okay, done. What we don't realize is that HUD estimates about 50% of people who get into housing, whether it's rapid rehousing, temporary housing, or permanent supportive housing, go back into homelessness within 12 months. I'm going to repeat that. Once people get out of the shelter and into housing, 50% of them will go back into a homeless situation within 12 months. Okay. Now, let me put a number to that. $40,000 of your tax money helps people who are homeless in the homeless situation per person per year. So I'll try and do that, that math of over half a million individuals who are going into housing and then going back into the homelessness. So when Humble Design steps in and makes their house into a home and puts the artwork on the walls and furnishes and makes the beds and creates a permanent house out of a temporary home, our families work very, very hard to stay there. They call their landlords when the sink breaks. They don't go back to their domestic violence situations. They, they feel a sense of community and partnership rather than um, uh, a sense of temporary. They turn their short-term thinking into long-term thinking. It goes from survival mode to planning mode. And that is what we can attest our success to, really. Honestly, I, I've done anecdotal studies. We've done um, some data studies. But really what it is, it's a mindset. And I imagine you don't just set it and forget it. There's probably follow-up with these families too, so they feel like they're still connected to you, right? Well, we, we connect for our data. We try and make sure that everyone is still in the same place a year later, but also the social workers that we work with connect back with the families and make sure that they have access to wraparound services. We're one small piece of a very large puzzle, but the empathy and kindness behind it all is part of what works. The, the wraparound services and treating the whole person is really um, what is making a big difference in the homeless sector. And that's where I can see the connection of social workers being so key because they know these people better than anybody and they know which ones are ready for this and which ones need more time. That piece is probably pretty important to keep in that number low. We see a lot of domestic violence victims who've gone back six, seven. The average domestic violence victim goes back to their abuser seven times before either they're killed or you know, they move on. So when we see a lot of domestic violence and, you know, uh, children aging out of foster care and veterans, their hope, the social workers hope is that this will give them the stability that they need to not go back. And, and uh, it works. It, it turns out it works. So, you know, going back to the very first family that you helped, you help, actually helped them find housing and then help them furnish it. Is that how the process still works? Or sometimes 
people already have their house, you're just furnishing it or, or do you do both as well? So when you check into a homeless shelter, the social worker that's assigned to you, their only real job is to get you the help that you need to get out and get into a, a housing situation. So once we encounter the family, they are already in that housing situation or getting the keys to that housing situation that is provided or helped with by the social worker. So we're out of that part of the equation. We just encounter the families after they've already secured housing. Got it. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. That's, uh, I don't know how many families we've talked about, uh, almost 8,000 lives transformed. I want you to pick just maybe one outside of the very first one that you helped out that you just never forget about and, and really sticks out. Oh man, what a story that was. I mean, this is a very common question that I get and I pick somebody different every time because <laughs> it's like picking a favorite child, right? You just right. can't do it. So today, my favorite family um, was a family. She, the woman was a single mom. She had four kids and she had a full-time job. She had a car, she had a house, she was paying a mortgage and she got kidney disease. And um, she started taking time off of work for dialysis and she was fired from her position at work. And then she lost her healthcare and she lost her home and she lost her car. And when we encountered them, they were living in an abandoned house in Michigan with no heat and no running water. She was just trying to make it to survive, to take care of her children. And she physically couldn't even stand up. And when we partnered with the agency that found them housing, we talked to her on the floor of the living room and she couldn't get up or move. And she just about broke my heart in a million pieces. And the 16 year old son was carrying the weight of this family. I mean, he was trying to go to school, but he's also trying to work. He didn't know what to do. He was trying to care for his mom. They were all in a state of panic because if she passed away, they would all go into the system and be broken up. So we furnished her home. We got her a wheelchair. We got her lots of comfortable places to sit in, in the house. And we furnished the son's room and the son couldn't afford to play for the football team, even though he made the team because he couldn't afford cleats or the, um, the pads that he needed to bring to practice. So he walked into his room. My husband was there, walked into his room and he saw the cleats and he saw his bedroom decorated and his bed made and all the football stuff on the wall and all of his awards and trophies out. And he just went real quiet. And sometimes, you know, that happens. And my husband was like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, thanks. Great. Like a teenager, like, okay, great. <laughs> and then he sat down at his desk and he turned his back to us. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to walk back in there. And I sat down on his bed and I looked at him and he was just sobbing, just sobbing about as hard as a person can cry. And I, you know, you realize in those moments that like, it's not just the parents who are carrying all that weight, you know, he was scared for his mom. They were scared for each other. And for a moment, like he could put it down and not be so afraid and not, um, and feel happy. Wow. You know, your, your emotion's so real. And it's, it's, <laughs> you're getting me a little bit. I'm crying. <laughs> Do I not mention that? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know, and, and the thing is with homelessness too, and in situations like this, there's so many different ways that people can fall into those issues. So, health problems, something they can't control, you know, and homeless people look, get looked down upon so much, but my goodness, sometimes things just happen in their lives. They have no control over. They need somebody to help them. Um, yeah, a, a lot of our families have health issues or death in the families where they can't take care 
of the day-to-day -day stuff, but health issues is a big one. So what are some of the needs for Humble Design going forward? So between donations or volunteers or whatever, you're always having needs, right? So All that. Know, what are, you know, what are some of the things you is, you know, as we get here into the end of the year, people are always looking for <laughs> something to donate to here at the end of the year or going into 2022. Let us know, you know, what you're looking for. Let me tell you how this works. Okay. So any donation that you give us, we steward with the most of care. We're platinum rated on Cherry Navigator. We have 100% rating on, uh, on GuideStar. We're like very responsible. However, it takes a lot of money to do what we do because we're a logistics company. We're basically a bed, bath, and beyond. If you visit any one of our warehouses, it is organized within an inch of its life by volunteers like you who come down and sort and fold and put everything so the, the designers can pick what's right for the family and not have to spend a million hours looking for stuff. That helps. Volunteers always help. But what we offer is we offer an experience. If you want to go down and look somebody in the eye who you're helping this holiday season, if you want to get your arms around somebody and tell them that it's going to be okay, this is the way to do it. We sponsor each home with either a corporate sponsor or an individual sponsor. We have a family down today in San Diego who bought it for her birthday. She decided for her birthday, she wanted to take all of her friends down, sponsor this home and come down and do the house. So it's from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You get to decorate the whole home with you and your friends or you and your corporation. And then you get to watch the family come in and be surprised and cry and hug and jump up and down. And we film the whole thing. If you're a corporation, we could put your logo on it so you can share it uh, in internally or externally, however you choose. And if you're just an individual who wants to do it, we can take lots of photographs for you and your friends, but it's an experience that will change you fundamentally forever. I've done this with my children as, as they were young as three and five years old when I started doing this. They have grown up with this as part of who they are and it's changed them. It's changed me. So if you have get a chance to come down to one of the houses, respond to one of the houses, I please visit our website and, and make that happen. It will be worth your while. There's no doubt about it. I can vouch for that. Uh, our family donated some things a few years ago and my wife was sending videos as the children saw their new house transformed. And my goodness, if that doesn't affect you, I don't know what will. Um, it, was, it was so good. So what's a simple way? Someone Should they go to your website yeah. to uh, make contact and then kind of just everything's probably there to, to go from there, right? Yeah. So humbledesign.org has everything on there. And if you're confused or I'm not tech savvy and, and you want to call us. We're always there on Monday through Friday. Um, we're in five cities. So if you're watching this right now and you're not in Detroit, check the website, see where we are. And if you just want to see your lovely furniture that you've kept close to your heart and you don't know what to do with your kid's crib, even though he's 23 years old now, go to a special place, make sure that you donate to us. And then you get to go online and see where it went and watch somebody else enjoy your unbelievable gifts of furniture and home goods. We take everything except for clothing, um, as long as it's in good condition. And every single dollar that you give us will go directly to getting those families the beds that they need this holiday season. Shouldn't be hard for anybody to go around the house and say, geez, I haven't used that in a while, but uh, it would be great for somebody else. So uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, I love that. That's the we're the, we're the Bed Bath & Beyond of, uh, yeah, of donated goods. Well, hey, uh, Traeger, th again, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm sure you've got a lot of other things that you need to get to, but I wanted you to take a second to just reflect on the amazing things that you've been able to do and I uh, hope this continues to grow for you. If I stop and sit and round and think about how great it is, I won't keep pushing forward. So <laughs> more work to do. All right. Well, hey, thanks again and best of luck to you. Thank you.